Thank you, Kevin. Prodigal Son is a powerful passage of grace and mercy and God's love. Um, If you would turn with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. Last week we looked at Zacchaeus, wee little man, climbed up a tree. Um, This week we're looking at Daniels and Lions Den. I guess month of March is just uh, children's stories uh, from the Bible. Um, But they're powerful stories and sometimes we lose elements in these stories because we've heard them from the time that we were children and many of us probably could recount them by heart but there's some powerful elements that are within the structure of these narratives that teach us a lot about our God, uh, teach us a lot about ourselves and teach us uh, wonderful things about the relationship that we have with our God. This morning we'll look at the story of Daniel and Lion's Den and then we will turn to the book of Acts Uh, and look at the end of the story of Stephen's life. Uh, When I was young, uh, we used to have a little small aluminum boat that we take down bowling uh, and go fishing. Uh, So you know how many years ago this was, because you could actually get a boat in bowling. Uh, Now there's trees and everything else. You can't even get down the river. Um, But there was one day we were out there, my dad, myself, my brother, and my uncle, and we were fishing, and we were coming along, and we were going up under Burnt Bridge, and all of a sudden, the boat came to a halt. I mean, just a stop uh, and, and just dead still. And my dad goes, I think I'm on a sandbar. I'm not quite sure. I, I think I'm bogged down. And my uncle said, uh, I'll check it for you. Now, this is back in the days where we had one of them fancy uh, depth finders on the boat called a paddle. Um, you take the paddle, you stick it down in the water, and you see how deep it was. Um, my uncle grabbed a paddle. Stuck it down over side the boat to see how deep it was, and it was only about a foot deep. And he said, I'll just hop out and push you off. It's no problem. He jumped out and disappeared, was gone. The boat had gotten stuck on an old piling up under that bridge, and when he'd stuck the paddle out, he'd hit another piling, but not the bottom of the uh, creek. So when he jumped out of the boat, he went all the way below the water and came up about 20 yards down the river, uh, swimming to the bank uh, and, and spitting water out. I mean, it took him by surprise. And, and I can still remember oh, once we realized we were on a piling, we weren't just bogged down. They couldn't just lift the motor. My uncle couldn't just shove us off. We were on that piling for some time. And I can remember I was a little kid, and I can remember thinking, we may never get off this creek. Uh, we're stuck. I I might not get home. And and I can remember just a little bit of anxiety kind of setting in just over the notion of how are we going to get out of here? Now, I'm sure my dad never panicked or I'm sure my dad had a thought all the time of how he was going to get off that piling. But for me, I'd never been stuck in that way. And, And sometimes in life when we get stuck or we're in a situation that we don't understand and we definitely don't understand the exit strategy that we have, it can start becoming worrisome and it can start becoming uh, anxious uh, and anxiety filled. And there are many times in life that we encounter those situations and there are sometimes that we enter into situations where they're not a simple fix like that was, but they're really complicated and they're really difficult. And sometimes, just to be honest with you, we really don't have a way out. And the only way out that we have is through God. And, and the Bible speaks to these moments in life where, where we are brought to these, these moments in life where we are trapped, where, where life has closed in upon us and we do everything we can just simply to catch our breath. And it tells us to have faith in God. 
For God can see us through and God can bring us through. It tells us that when waters sweep over our head and it feels as though we will drown, we will not drown. It says when we walk through the fires, we will not be burned. Man, those are some scary moments in life. When we find Daniel in chapter 6, he's in a scary moment in life. He's in a scary moment in life primarily because God has done amazing things in his life. He is a, a captive from Israel, from Judah, and he's been brought to Babylon. And because God has blessed him in so many ways, he has climbed the ladder of importance. And, and now he has gained such recognition and notoriety from the king that others have become jealous of him. And others really don't like him. And they don't really appreciate this foreigner coming in and having so much power. And they want to get rid of him. So they begin to plot against him. Uh, and, and in chapter 6, we're told that they go to the king. And they look at the king and says, Oh king, there are so many people in your kingdom that don't show you the respect that you are due. They don't show you the honor that you are due. Make a decree that says... No matter what, you must pray and honor only you as king over Babylon right now. That you cannot pray to any other god, you cannot honor any other king or any other dignitary, but only you will be honored and prayed to in this month, knowing full well that Daniel prayed to his God every single day, multiple times a day. And the king, because of his pride, that sounds pretty good. Not thinking who that would impact. Not thinking about the repercussions of his actions. But simply out of pride said that sounds good. And he signs that decree. And in chapter 6 we'll look at the story that occurs here with Daniel. We'll pick up our reading in verse 10. Chapter 6 verse 10 of Daniel. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. When they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. And the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his place and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue from the lions? 
Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound uh, was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and men of every language throughout the land, May you uh, prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So they come to, to Daniel and, and, and a lot of what this story is about is anthropology. What people are like. What we're like as individuals. So in other words, you have a king there and these individuals become jealous. There's a lot of sin that takes place in life just merely because of jealousy. Envy and jealousy, they're not the same thing, but they're very much akin. They're in the same family. Envy is when I look at somebody and I want what they have, that I desire that. Jealousy is when I look at somebody and I just don't want them to have it. In other words, I don't care if I have it. I just don't want them to have it. But either way, both of those can breed in us this nature of sin. What inspires this whole event is that people are jealous over what has happened in Daniel's life. Why has Daniel been so successful? If you go all the way back to chapter 1 of Daniel, you'll find out that Daniel is successful because he does what God calls him to do. He's aligned his life with God. If you remember in chapter 1, he's given the diet of the king and he's told to eat like everybody else and Daniel refuses with his friends to eat like everybody else. And he asks for water and he asks for vegetables and he doesn't want all the wine and he doesn't want all the goodies that the king is sending him. And the person worries about what's going to happen to Daniel's physique compared to the other's physique. And Daniel says, let's try it out and give me a trial period. And we discover that Daniel and his friends grew and prospered and were blessed by God because they followed the commands of God. And throughout Daniel's life, Daniel followed the commands of God. He was dedicated to God. He was committed to God. And God blessed him. And it was the blessings of God that was in Daniel's life that these men could not stand. Jealousy and envy will rot out someone's life. It will turn your heart. It will make you despise and it will breed hatred in your life. Guys, don't be jealous. Don't be envious. God has wonderful things for you in store if you will commit your life to God. But don't look at what others have and be envious of that and jealous of it. Accept the things that God has for you and the plans God has for you. And so often in life we kind of lose focus and we start focusing on others and what God's doing in their life and what God has for them. Think of the book of John, the gospel of John. At the end when Jesus is reconciling with Peter after Peter's denials, he pulls Peter off to the side and, and he tells Peter that he's going to die for him one day. And Peter turns and he says, but what about him looking at the disciple whom Jesus loved? And Jesus said, look, if I want him to live forever, I'll let him live forever. This is about you. 
Don't be distracted by what God has for others or what God is doing in the life of others because that breeds a sense of jealousy and envy and it's destructive. These men come together and they use the pride of the king. Guys, the birthplace of most sin is pride. It's our sense that we can do it on our own and we can control it and we want to be in control of our life and we can stand on our own and we don't need anybody else and we don't need God and we stand there pridefully and the king's pride got in his way. He never had intent to harm Daniel. If he would have had any forethought whatsoever when this decree was brought before him, he would have known it would not have been a good decree and it would, would have harmed Daniel who he loved, who he cared for who he honored, but he had no forethought. These people played on his pride for when they brought the decree before them, they said, there's no reason anybody else should honor anybody but you. It was a prideful thing. And the king signed it immediately. Why? Because it emboldened him and it made him feel better about himself. As Christians, guys, we are called to be humble. Humility should be one of the aspects of our life that is throughout. We need forethought and we need to think about others being impacted from our actions. And it's not just about how people treat us. It's not just about how things are are done for us. It's about others as well. So often in our society, we kind of get in this bubble where we only think about how things impact us. And we only think about how things impact our family or those that we love. And we don't have enough forethought to see how they impact others. The king was just wrapped up in his own pride. And then you have Daniel. You have these men in the story who are wrapped up in jealousy and envy. You have the king who is wrapped up in pride. And then you have Daniel, a person of faith. Simply put, he's a person of faith. A decree is signed by the king. And there is nothing that king can do about that decree once it is signed. It is representative of even the kings follow the laws represented under the Medes and the Persians. So Darius is bound by the law he signed now. Daniel understands that he has signed that law. Daniel prays three times a day in front of his window as he faces Jerusalem. Daniel does not change one single thing about his routine. He could have. Most of us probably would have. I mean, in all actuality, Daniel could have said, you know what? I've been praying with an open window facing Jerusalem, but I could close the curtain. I know Jerusalem's out there. I could hide behind something. I don't have to do it openly. He could have said, you know, maybe I don't have to do it three times a day. Maybe I can do it when it gets dark. There's a lot of ways that he could still continue to pray to Yahweh and just not do it openly the three days that he was doing it. But not Daniel. Daniel was a man of faith. He was a man of principle. You know, the early church got into a a situation under the Roman Empire that was a pretty dire situation for for the uh, early Christians. The the emperor of Rome, many of them would demand the burning of incense to the emperor. And it was a debate among Christians. 
can we burn incense to the emperor of Rome? And, and some Christians said it's just kind of like when we say pledge of allegiance to the U.S. I mean, it's not anything against God. It's just simply we support Rome as well. So, so they looked at it as a thing that didn't have any impact upon religion, whatever. It was just a statement about their relationship to the state. Others says because the emperor thinks of himself as God many times, many of, most of the emperors thought of themselves as gods after their death, but still they thought of themselves as gods. Some emperors thought of themselves as God and even their horses as gods. But, but th- there was a sense where if we burn the incense, are we worshiping another god? And some Christians said, yeah, so we're not going to burn the incense. The problem is if, if you didn't burn the incense to the, the emperor, the, then the penalty was pretty hefty. So you know what some Christians did? They found individuals who didn't mind burning the incense and went, could you burn it in my name too? You already see it. <laughs> it ain't going to hurt you to double up on that, Right? they figured out a way where their name would be represented of the burning of the incense and therefore they would be cleared under the the, the penalty that the Roman Empire had, but they themselves wouldn't actually burn it. That's different than what Daniel does. He doesn't try to manipulate the system so that he can do what's right but not be out front about it. Daniel just says, I'm a person of faith. I'm a person of principle. I've done this every day of my life. I'm going to continue to do it every day of my life. But what you got to understand is sometimes being a person of faith and principle gets you into situations that are tough. They're dire. These guys go and they see Daniel praying and they go and they rest him and they bring him before the king or they go before the king and say, look, Daniel's refusing to abide by your decree. It's an insult to you. We want everybody to honor you and to praise you. But here's this man who continues to pray to his God in spite of your decree. He has no respect for you. And the king knows what they're up to. The king understands exactly what they're doing. But because he signed the decree, Daniel has to be arrested. And Daniel has to go into the lion's den. You can see the agony in the king. The king does not want to do it because he respects Daniel, but he must do it. So he takes Daniel to the lion's den. He puts Daniel inside the lion's den. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He has no entertainment that night. He's destroyed by what he had to do. And he even says, I hope your God can deliver you. And as Daniel's in the lion's den, we know that the lions take no part in Daniel. Angels come, and, and, and it's not the lions weren't hungry. That's why you're told in the story that the next morning when the king opens up the uh, den and rolls back the stone, he calls to Daniel. Daniel calls back to him, and Daniel says, I've been saved, for I am innocent. I've never done anything against God, and I've not done anything against you, O king. And when they remove Daniel from the lion's den, they throw the other people who were responsible for putting Daniel in the lion's den into the lion's den, And before they even hit the ground, the lions have devoured them. It wasn't that the lions were full. And they were sitting over to the side going, man, Daniel looks good, but I just can't eat anymore today. They were hungry. God had protected him through the night and he brought him out. And and, and Daniel was saved because of his faith. Daniel was saved because of his principles. Once again, Daniel was blessed because who he was. And listen to what the king says once he 
Daniel is brought out and the people are thrown in, the king makes this declaration. He says, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, Yahweh. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So by Daniel being consistent in his faith and his principles, and by Daniel going into this tough spot, when he is brought out, God is glorified. You have the king of Persia now saying, I issued this decree. Everybody is not going to worship me, but they're going to worship the God of Daniel because the God of Daniel is real. The God of Daniel is living. The God of Daniel does wonders in the heavens and upon the earth. The God of Daniel is the one that we worship. God gets the glory for what he's done in Daniel's life. When we are people of faith and when we are people of principle, the number one goal that is in our life is for God to receive glory. Not our protection. Not our honor, but for God to receive the glory. It's a wonderful story in Daniel. There's a number of these stories, right? I mean, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are in Daniel. It's stories of people who are principled and and, and people of faith being delivered from dire situations so that God may be glorified and God may be honored. It's throughout Scripture. Sometimes they don't work out as well as they did for Daniel. If you would turn with me to the book of Acts. Book of Acts. Chapter 7. Verse 54. There's a man named Stephen. And Stephen is a man of faith. And he's a man of principle. And Stephen preaches an amazing sermon. Going all the way back through the Old Testament. And the principles of faith. And and, and telling the the, the Jewish community. uh, Of how God has now brought forward in Christ. This new era. And Stephen is not appreciated. Stephen is not liked. And the sermon infuriates the Jews. Stephen stands for his faith. Stephen is consistent in his principles. But most of you probably know what happens to Stephen for standing for his faith and being consistent in his principles. If you'll pick up your uh, reading with me in verse 54 of chapter 7. When they heard this, they were furious, uh, talking about the Jews, of course, furious and, and, and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at his feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. 
you see Stephen's faith. You see the principles which he lived by and even the principles which he died by. They're stoning him out of anger and fury because he preached a sermon about Christ. And what Stephen does is he prays for their forgiveness. He didn't pray in the end, God, do something. God, miraculously save me. He says, God, forgive them of this sin. He looks up and he sees the glory of God. He sees God's honor. He sees Christ standing up to receive him home. Stephen dies because of his faith, because of his conviction, and because of his principles. That's why he dies. There's nothing else that he's done. He preached a sermon. He preached a sermon and they gnashed their teeth and they grew more and more angry and they drug him outside the city and they stoned him to the point of death. Now what happens when Stephen dies is amazing in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a historical tale of where the church goes and where it comes from. And kind of what promotes its growth and how you move from Jesus and 12 disciples to this movement that is taking over the world. Moving into Greece and Rome and all of these places. How do you transition from Jesus and 12 disciples and Jesus being crucified to now an impactful movement that is going throughout Greece and eventually Rome? This was the catalyst. Look through the book of Acts and what you will find is this is the catalyst. Now, Paul is the one who is responsible for it and we see him within this story. Saul is there with the coats laid at his feet and it says in chapter 8 verse 1 that Saul approved of the stoning of Stephen for we know that Saul is about to go to Damascus to persecute more Christians. But then there's something amazing that happens on that road to Damascus, right? So Saul is converted and now we have Paul and Paul is the one. But if you go back to the catalyst of what really spread the Christians out and took the message of the church broader than ever before, it was the death of Stephen. Because when Stephen dies, everybody starts going, oh, this has just got real. And now it's serious. We leaving. They're killing people. And everybody spreads out. And they go to places where there's not going to be so much hostility. And they go to places where people are not going to kill them. And it spreads the message of the gospel. It spreads the church like wildfire. Stephen loses his life. But in losing his life, God is glorified. A faithful person. A person of principle and conviction. The greatest desire in our heart should be that we bring glory to God. That's wonderful when the story's like Daniel's. It's a whole lot harder when the story's like Stephen's. But ultimately what we've got to decide is whether we have the amazing end of Daniel in the lion's den or the disappointing sad end of Stephen being, Stephen being stoned. Our ultimate desire is not even about our own life. 
our ultimate desire is about the glory of our God. And I don't say that easily. Because way too often, what truly dominates my perspective in this world is what's good for Jeremy, what's good for his family, what's good for those who I love, what's good for those who I care about. It is very difficult to get beyond self, to embrace a notion of that I will sacrifice everything that I am and even the breath in my body if it means my God gets the glory. That's a commitment. That's principles. That's faith. What did Jesus tell his disciples? If you want to follow after me, you've got to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. Well, Guys, Jesus went up Golgotha. We celebrate in the month of April, Easter, the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Man, there's some glory in that resurrection, but there's some pain in that crucifixion. Sometimes we have to go through pain for our God to be glorified. But I want you to notice something in Stephen. The whole time he's being stoned and the whole time he's about to lose his life, you don't get from the story, the way Luke records it, you don't get that Stephen is filled with worry and anxiety and and fear and, and all these things. You don't even get a discomfort in Stephen. I mean, stoning's a bad way to go. And yet what, what, what seems to be clear in the story is, as Luke narrates it, Stephen's at peace. It's the Jews are so angry, they're gnashing their teeth and they're dragging him out of the city. What is the vision that he has but his Lord and Savior standing up to receive him home? He doesn't scream vile things at him. He doesn't scream out of anger or out of pain. He simply says, Father, forgive them of the sins. Mirroring the words of Christ on the cross. That's a man of faith. That's a man of principle. And, and, and even in the harshest moment, even in the moment of his death, God is able to bring peace into his soul and into his heart. Our desire should be for the glory of God. And we should understand through faith That for him to be gloried, sometimes it may mean that we walk through difficult paths and we go through difficult things. But we also must understand that we serve a God who can bring a peace that passes all human understanding. May God give us that peace as we serve him for his glory. I pray that we have stories that end like the story of Daniel. But also realize that we will have stories that end like the story of Stephen. But I pray in all those things that God will be glorified and that peace will be delivered. There's another amazing story in the book of Acts when Peter is in prison. And Herod is about to kill Peter. And the church is praying. A miraculous event happens where Peter is saved from prison. Matter of fact, he goes to the house church. He knocks on the door. 
The little girl who's the servant in the house goes to the door, says, who is it? I'm Peter. She doesn't even open the door. She runs back in to tell everybody that Peter's at the door. She tells everybody Peter's at the door. The church says, he ain't at the door. He's in prison. We're praying for him because he's in prison. We're praying that he get out of prison. So he's in prison. And she's like, no, he's at the door. They're like, no, he's in prison. They finally let Peter in the house, which I'm sure he appreciated. Since they were probably looking for him. Um, Peter gets in the house. And, and, and sometimes you read the story and you're like, man, the church really didn't have a whole lot of confidence in their prayer life, did they? No, he can't be at the door. He's in jail and we're praying for him to get out of jail. But the reason the church lacked a little bit of confidence, if you go a few verses before the Peter narrative, Herod just killed James, beheaded him. And I'm pretty sure the same church that prayed for Peter was praying for James. And he just lost his life. We can try to analyze it and say, why did James lose his life, Peter not lose his life? I can simply answer that question by this. May God be glorified. Whether we lose our life or whether we keep it, no matter what comes, may God be glorified. It has got to be our greatest desire. There's a lot of desires that we have. There's a lot of things we want. Top of the list, highest priority above all else. May God be glorified. May we have the successes of Daniel. May we have the faith to walk through the situations of Stephen. May in all things in our life, we bring honor and glory to our God. Let us pray. God, we come before you understanding that life is challenging and life is difficult. God, your scriptures speak to it. The individuals who served you and loved you and followed you did not have easy lives. They were faithful people. They were principled people. They did not have easy lives. They had difficult lives. And sometimes, Lord, you brought them through. Sometimes, Lord, they passed away. But in all things, they brought honor to you. God, I pray that as a church and as individuals, we could honestly say that the greatest desire of our life was to bring you honor, to bring you glory. And Lord, we understand there are challenging times and there are difficult times. Some, some of us have already been through challenging and difficult times. Some of us have yet to see them. And some of us only think we've been through challenging and difficult times. We're kind of like Jeremiah. And what you're thinking right now is you've only been jogging with me and you're about to have to run with horses. God, I pray whatever waits ahead and whatever is around the next bend that truly our greatest desire in our heart would be to glorify you, to honor you in all things. Where we go this week, may we honor you. What we try to accomplish in life, may it honor you. Lord, may our life with our family honor you. May our life with our church honor you. 
May every component of life honor you. May it be our greatest desire. And may we achieve it through faith and a principled life. Give us strength. Give us courage. And lay out before us a direction to walk so that we may follow. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning we'll have a time of invitation. Any decisions need to be made in a public fashion. Feel free to come forward at this time if you'll please stand.